Today's broadcast was recorded for Wednesday, December 16th, 2020. Welcome to our Wednesday Amen teaching time here at Central Park Neighborhood Church. We've been looking at the subject of the anointing. And last week we looked at the uh, portion of the anointing called the fragrant cinnamon. And as we looked at that uh, particular portion of that compound of the anointing, we found that the fragrant cinnamon relates to us basically of the sacrifice that an individual makes. And that sacrifice that they make results in a blessing to the receiver. We find that God uses our sacrifices. Really, God demands a sacrifice. When you look at the life of Jesus, it was a life of total sacrifice. And when he comes to us, he says the same thing. Amen. There's different kind of sacrifices. We can give the sacrifice of praise. We can give a sacrifice of thanksgiving. We can sacrifice our material needs. We Things that we uh, need ourselves, sometimes God requires of us to give, and it becomes a sacrifice. And then on the other side, God comes through, amen, blesses us, meets the need that we have. So anyway, we find that it's really, it's giving, it's it's sacrificing and on your part, it's a sacrifice. On the receiver, it is a blessing. And we looked at this scripture in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So he, he's setting the stage here for us. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Here he says, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied, and now I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And this is what he says, They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So you'll find that the Philippians then were what? They were sacrificing. They were giving of themselves to minister basically to Paul. And so today, as we continue on, let's take another portion of the compound of the anointing. We've looked at the fragrant cane. Um, Let's look at the calamus, the calamus. As we progress in today's study, we find that the calamus... This is what it represents. It represents our weaknesses and our inabilities. Because of our weakness or our inabilities, one must learn to totally rely and trust in the ability of the Holy Spirit. Every person has strong points. Every person has strengths in their life. Every person uh, has something that God has given them that they're good at. Uh, no matter what that is, and it's, it's a variety of things because we are a variety of humanity and God has distributed himself among us. But each one of us also has areas we're we are not strong in, or we don't have that ability. And so, consequently, as we look at this calamus, and this subject of the calamus, and this part of the compound, you're going to find it represents our weaknesses, okay? Our weaknesses and our inabilities. God, amen, <laughs> it's the anointing of God Amen. It is his abilities that have to make up the difference. And his abilities uh, are what are needed, amen, to accomplish the supernatural that God wants us to do. 
So we find now in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 25, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take the following spices, 500 shekels of myrrh, we've looked at that, and then half of much of that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, and then 250 shekels of fragrant cane, or the calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, and then he says, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and then he adds to it a hen of olive oil. And the, make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. So the third spice then that we're looking at and we're considering here is the calamus, the, the fragrant cane. And when we uh, really define this and we understand what he's talking about here, we'll, we go to different reference works and we do our study and we look at these things. And our strongs tell us that the word fragrance, basically that's what it is. It's a fragrance. Spicery. Spicery means to smell sweet. Has a nice aroma to it. Reminds me of coffee in the morning. Boy, coffee smells so good. So good. It has a nice aroma to it. And the cane, when he says here a fragrant cane, it's really speaking to us about a reed. Something that's standing erect. And uh, in, in your Strong's it has many different uh, things that this reed symbolizes. It can be a rod for measuring. It can be a shaft. It can be a tube, a stem. It can be the radius of an arm or a beam. And so there's many things that this cane represents. But the, basically what we're talking about today, it's talking about a reed. A reed. And when we look at this reed, you're going to find that this word originates and designates an oriental plant, and they call it the sweet flag. Sweet flag. And sometimes in your scriptures, it's called sweet cane. So it could be a sweet flag or sweet cane. Calamus. Let's, uh, let's discover a little bit about what this looks like. It's a semi-evergreen, perennial, hairless herb found in deep, damp, swampy areas. It has a bright green sword-shaped leaf. I thought that kind of interesting. A sword-shaped leaf. It has a waxy margin and a stick in the middle. The plant is similar in appearance to the iris. It grows about two meters tall. So it's not real tall. You know, it's uh, about six feet tall. And it, it has a pale yellow flower. It's uh, pinkish brown on the outside and white pinkish on the inside. And it's native to Asia and is found throughout North America and different places. It's, it has an aromatic smell and it has a knotted stalk. Uh, when you cut it and you dry it and you reduce it to powder, then it becomes in the useful form of calamus that you would have found in the compound of the anointing. It uh, not only was used in the anointing, but uh, in other forms, uh, it was used in perfumes because it was it had a tremendous aroma to it. It has a nice smell to it. And so... As we look at this one, we looked at myrrh as bitterness, and we looked at other things, you know, concerning uh, the compound. And here we have this run with a really, really nice smell. It may not have tasted good to the taste, but the smell that it gave off was very aromatic. And we find that the plant has a, a reed-like stem, and it was exceedingly fragrant, and the leaves, uh, amen, were also used in this making of this whole 
compound uh, in this calamus, and that is the leaves and the stalk. Basically, it says one was crushed, but the leaves were bruised, and when they were bruised, they gave off a tremendous, tremendous aromatic smell. It was an agreeable aromatic smell. And you find that they would, not only they crushed that, but they took the stem and they beat that and it would become uh, and make a powder of it. So it was reduced from a plant that was growing and green uh, to a powder form that was, and it was crushed. And the reason it was is because when it was crushed and when it was uh, beaten and brought into a powder form, that is when the, the smell, the aroma, would really be uh, given off of this plant. You find that sometimes these uh, different uh, spices uh, were used in for different things. And because this is a reed, it was used as walking sticks. Some even use it for fishing poles. A reed was uh, used and uh, a musical instrument would be made out of it. Sometimes pens, things for writing, dipped in ink, and they used it for writing. And then when you think of a, a reed, and when you break it, it would kind of shiver apart, and they could weave baskets or weave mats from the particular weed, uh, reed that we're talking about. So today, this reed that we have here, that we're speaking about, and it is the next compound in the anointing, let's find out some of the things that it speaks to us. First of all, we'll find that when it speaks of this reed in the scriptures, it speaks of instability. Instability. First Kings chapter 14, verse 15. The Lord will strike Israel so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. It, was, it didn't have a lot of stability. It was a swaying thing. It was something that was really susceptible to the winds. It was susceptible to the waves of the water. And whatever uh, came its way, it had the ability to disturb it. He will uproot Israel from his good land that he gave to their forefathers and scatter them beyond the river because they provoked the Lord to anger by making Asherah poles and so on. So it, this reed, he says it was swaying in the water. Stability is the opposite of instability, obviously. You know, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God doth not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and what? Self-discipline. Self-discipline. Isaiah 28:16 Therefore thus says the Lord God behold I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone a tried stone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation he that believeth shall not make haste and we know what he's talking about here this foundation this is the Lord Jesus Christ you know um, the Corinthians tells us there's no other foundation that can be laid but that which is Christ and so he's our foundation and he's a sure foundation and he, when we build our lives on the sure foundation, it takes care of these instabilities and these things that, amen, uh, bring uh, to our lives that cause us to sway, cause us to wander, cause us to, you know, look in different directions. Well, when you look into the direction of the foundation that God has laid, which is the Christ Jesus, look into his word, you'll find that stability will come to your life. I like what Luke six forty six to forty nine says. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and hear my sayings and doeth them, I will show you whom he is like. 
He's like a man which built a house and dig deep, laid the foundation on a rock. There it is. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. For why? Because it was founded upon the rock. There's the stability founded upon the rock, rock Christ Jesus. But he that heareth and doeth not, okay, is like a man without a foundation. He doesn't have anything to stand on. He built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So he's saying life storms will come. Life challenges will come. You know, inabilities will be exposed. Uh, foundations or the lack thereof will be exposed. But if we build on Christ the rock, we build on Christ the foundation, we find that the stability then can come and the instabilities that are represented in our life, amen, they can be founded on something that is stable. It also represents uncertain and untrusted support. Untrusted support. In Second Kings 18.21, look now, you're depending on Egypt. This is He's talking to Israel. That splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. So it's uncertain. It's an unsupported, uh, untrusted support. In Ezekiel 29, verse 6, And all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord, because they have been a staff of reed to the house of Israel. Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed. Broken reed, he says, on Egypt. Whereon, if a man lean, it will go into his hands and pierce it. So is king of Egypt, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you know, to everybody who trusts in him. That's who and what he is. So the opposite of uncertainty is basically to trust. The scripture that comes to mind is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and what will he do? He will direct your paths. In Second Samuel 22, verse 30, the God of my rock, and him will I trust. We get back to this rock. We get back to this foundation. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. So he's talking about the opposite here of uncertainty, the opposite here of untrusted support. Basically, we find that in Christ. The reed also speaks of the spiritually miserable, helpless and poor. In Psalm 72, 12, it says, For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, and shall save the souls of the needy. Save the souls of the needy. Also the reed is a symbol of a fickle person. So when we talk about fickle, we're talking about uh, changeable or unstable Basically, it could be in affection or in interest or in loyalty. And so, uh, a fickle person, okay, a fickle person in Matthew eleven seven, as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what went you out in the wilderness to see? What did you go out there to see? He says, and he asked this question, did you go out there to see a reed shaken with the wind? You know, it was unchangeable. It was It was something that was not stable. That's what they... Uh, he was addressing them as they went out to see um, John the Baptist. You know, God is unchangeable. <laughs> he's immutable. He's permanent. He's enduring. He's the constant. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Hebrews thirteen eight says. You know, 
He's not changeable. He's not fickle. Okay, He's not like the reed. He's like the rock. When it came to time for Jesus to die on the cross, we know uh, the huge cost and the process that Jesus went through. And part of it was that the soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they put a reed in his right hand. A reed, that's what they put in his hand. The reed was to be his scepter. That's really what it was saying. And the scepter is a sign of royal authority. They mocked Jesus. They mocked his kingdom and his authority at the crucifixion. They put a reed, something that was unstable, something that was uncertain, something that was, you know, had no strength to it. Instead of putting, uh, you know, the, the rod of iron in his hand, they put the reed in his hand. In Matthew twenty-seven twenty-nine, it says this, And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him. They mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the reed, and what did they do? They smote him on the head with it. They smote him on the head with it. And after that, they mocked him. They took the robe off from him, put on his own raiment, and led him away to crucify him. To crucify him. You're going to find that there are some other things concerning this reed or this scepter uh, in the scripture. Uh, when we look in at Esther, when she approached the king, you're going to find that the king was sitting on the throne and he extended the scepter, which meant approval of the person desiring to approach the throne. So uh, she came before the throne. She wasn't called to the king yet, but she showed up in his presence and he extended the scepter. And that meant that she was approved and she could approach the throne. The second part of that, as we will read in the scripture here in a moment, it says that she reached out and she touched the scepter and what was she doing? She was acknowledging the authority of the one extending the scepter. We find this in Esther 5.2. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And what did he do? And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter, or which would have been, uh, that would be translated reed, that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter and said, then said the king unto her, What will you, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given unto you half of the kingdom. So we find there was an extension of the, of the scepter, and so she was accepted. She acknowledged his authority, and we find that the reed and the scepter are synonymous here. And so when you think about this reed, and you're thinking about a king now sitting upon the throne, let me take you back just a little bit here uh, about the reed. You know, when you look in the early days of the shepherds that were caring for the flocks. You'll find one of the things that they had, um, they would carry a staff, basically a reed. And, and, and so we find that that staff was a symbol of authority, even the shepherd, and he was dealing with the sheep. And now we find here it's used in kings as they extend, uh, amen, that scepter and allows people in, allows people approval. And uh, so we find that there is a, a growing of understanding of the reed and the scepter and that Jesus, amen. When we talk about Jesus, you'll find in Genesis 49.10, it was used in the reference to the royal line descended from Judah. So the scepter would be in his hand, speaking of the Christ. 
Another interesting uh, thought concerning the scepter is the breaking of a scepter signified the downfall of the one who possessed it. Breaking of the scepter meant the downfall of the one who had it. And so when we consider this reed, it is the weaknesses, it is our inabilities. And that reed went through a process to become powder so that it could be part of the anointing oil. And likewise, uh, the inabilities, many times, you're going to find that, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I'll use this word, my inabilities and in, in, in the brokenness in them, uh, because I don't have the abilities, it causes me to rely on the Christ, rely on a different foundation other than the world system and my own thought process. It, ca it causes me to rely and settle and trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you.